Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. Thanks for joining us. Today my guest is Andy Chapman. Andy and I have done previous podcasts. She has made special presentations in the Beyond Today studio in Milford, Ohio, and she's spoken on subjects of hospice, palliative care, death, anxiety, depression, and despair. But she has put it in a way that has been very, very helpful and actually encouraging and inspiring. She is an RN, CDP, CCADCT, that's Certified Dementia Specialist, Naturopath, FNIP, that's Food as Nutrition Informed Specialist, CWCN, Certified Wound Care Nurse, and as of 2021, which has been a watershed year for her, and also was all explained for me as well, she started her own presentation consultation company, Select Med Seminars and Counseling, which allows her to write programs for the state of Michigan, assisting in education in facility care staff. So currently she speaks for Wayne State University, Lansing College in Michigan, WebMD, Stellantis, and Chrysler Worldwide, among other groups. And so she says when she sent this to me, who has time to work you know, with all, keeping track of all those particular certifications and honors? So welcome to the Cubic Report podcast, Andy. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. We've been doing other podcasts with Andy and have had a few conversations actually very knowledgeable conversations that have led me to want to talk about life situations that we both have gone through after we've had continuous professional careers. And about the same time, she, uh, she will explain hers, we have come to a changing point in our lives. In fact, as we were talking about a subject for this podcast, talking about our careers and the span of our careers, and uh, some of the changes that have taken place. We thought, hey, that would make a great podcast, and she was in very quick agreement. And we'd like to share some of our experiences with you, and that's what we decided to talk about today. We will all have to change doing what we're doing. Someday, everybody, all of us, no matter what we're doing, how much we like doing it, someday that will come to an end. Sometimes it's willing, willingly done willingly, sometimes not. Andy and I both have had somewhat abrupt ends. I had been president of the United Church of God, for which I was grateful for, for nine years, and had projects in progress, and a change was made. I had to move from Cincinnati. It was a time that was, uh, let's put it this way, challenging, a learning period in my life. So what can we learn from this? We have shared our experiences with one another, uh, Andy and I. And first of all, I'd like to have Andy talk about herself a little bit. Andy, tell us about your background in education, please. Well, it actually started quite accidentally. Um, I wound up going to nursing school quite late in life. It was something that I always wanted to do, but I didn't think I was smart enough to do. So I was driving by a college one day and decided to go in and just see where I would place. And actually passed out of four of the required classes to get into the nursing program. And so I had to come home and tell my husband I just spent all of our money because I joined the college. And <laughs> <laughs> that's how it all started. But 
it was also a thing that I, I think was kind of brought home a little bit more. Um, we had a friend from church dying of cancer, and she wound up coming to live with us. She died in our home, ultimately. And that really set my path for going into hospice care, mm-hmm. because I could see how many people really didn't understand hospice. They have this idea that we come in and just start delivering medications until the person dies, and that's not it at all. There's an emotional component, a spiritual component. There's the psychological component when you're dealing with something like this. So it really broadened my horizons. I think over the past 23 years, I have had more growth and found so many more dimensions of myself going through all of this. So education, I think, is very important. It's going to open doors for people. It's going to calm people. Mm-hmm. But you can't, you can't really fully understand anything until you go through it. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, you get to help people through it. So I think that's where education is just so vital. Well, what has been the most satisfying vocational part of your life? You kind of touched on it here, but what was the most satisfying part of your life in in your work? I think just helping people relax, calm down, understand and accept the situations that they were going through to help them to realize that they're not powerless. And when you can help calm that part of a person, they can go through the experience, I think, with a little bit more dignity and surety. So that to me was a very, very gratifying part to offer that comfort to individuals. Well, I think that we we are very similar in that way in our makeup uh, emotionally and how we relate to people. We're very relational and uh, caring about people just naturally. It means a lot to us as to how we how we come across and what outcomes are coming, and also how people are affected by what we do. If the negative, if the result is negative, we don't just walk away from them. We just really want to see how we can make things things right. So I'd like to talk about now move to what has happened uh, here of recent. By recent, I mean the last several years, because when you came and talked to us in Cincinnati and. Milford, you know, you give some fantastic seminars that are still online. In fact, I'll put links to them in the notes here with the podcast. But things have changed since that time. And I was going to call you one time, and then I heard that you were no longer working with where where you were at, and I just wasn't sure about uh, about that. And time has gone by, and I had gone through changes. But then I said, I've got to do a podcast with Andy. In fact, we even talked about that possibility, but just kind of went in one ear and out the other, at least in, for my my head. And then out of the blue here a couple of days ago, I said, I am going to call Andy, and I'm going to ask her if she would like to talk about what's happened in her life. And I wasn't even sure what happened in her life. And I we got to talking, and I thought we'd have another topic similar to the ones we've had before. But then, like I said, we got to talking about what's been happening in our lives and the lessons that we've had from that, where... Our education has been very firsthand, you know, very firsthand. <laughs> so what happened 
in your life. I know that you are willing to talk about it, about the effects of leaving a profession. Uh, I'd like you to say it in your own words, Andy. Well, sometimes when you leave a profession and you do it willingly, it impacts you a little differently. But when you don't even realize what's going on and all of a sudden it's just at your door, it really throws you for a loop. And it did me because I was doing very well in my position. Um, in fact, the corporate offices had actually sent me a letter about your ears must be ringing. And apparently that was what tipped everything over because my supervisor was actually very narcissistic. And I didn't realize the degree of that until we were having dinner one night in Indiana. Um, I was there with a couple people from corporate. She was there and there was vice president that was there. And I asked how the education was going down in Texas because that's where my field of expertise was, was providing clinical education through the state of Indiana, Michigan, Texas, and writing for the university, uh, Wayne State University. And so I wanted to know, because she was my supervisor, she was doing kind of the same thing. And I asked her how it was going. And she leaned across the table and very sternly under her breath so that nobody else could hear, she said, Andy, I am the only one that does education. I am the only one. And mm. then she sat back and I thought, okay, well, that seemed a little aggressive, but <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> and two days later, I lost my job. Uh -huh. They called and she had made up some fanciful tales and I didn't argue with her. And I think that that's one of the big things is that when she would confront me with something that she thought I was doing, I could very quickly and honestly say, well, you're mistaken on this because here I have evidence of blah, blah, blah. And that was something that was driving her crazy because she was trying to get me into a fight and it just wasn't happening. And finally, she just gave up and they said, we just eliminated your position. Just like that. Just like that. Just like that. And then ironically, two days later in the mail, I get a letter that they said, uh, I was eligible to apply for any position in any of their offices at any time. And I thought, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'll go back there. <laughs> Probably going to be a smart aleck and apply for her job, but <laughs> that might have been. But you know, you understand though, the disappointment, the Actually, there's anger. You got to be honest and say that there's a little bit of anger over this thing because it was so unjust. But you also know that if you really have faith that God is going to work things out, that even if it's a negative situation, you're going to be able to be okay. So I keep thinking about Daniel 3, 17 and 18. And it says, you know, but if not, those are the three greatest words that give me comfort and also courage to go forward, but if not. So if one thing doesn't work, you try something else. Mm -hmm. And it's through that situation that was meant to really bring me down that it actually lifted me up 
through losing my job, I found myself and I found my voice. So I am not angry. I'm not upset. Um, I have learned that you have to prepare for the unexpected, though. And if you're planning on retiring, you can prepare a little bit better. But when it's forced on you, there's so many things that go through your mind. You just don't know what to do first. Well, what, one thing, uh, Andy, is, is that there are people who prepare for retirement and they can't wait to get to age whatever, you know, 65, <laughs> you know, 60. Some, some have mandatory retirements at 55, whatever, and they look forward to it and they think, boy, you're probably just happy. And I got all these, when I retired, I got all these congratulations on retirement. And that's the last thing I felt. I mean, congratulations. I mean, I've been a very active person. I still am, you know, to this to this very day. Uh, I didn't want that. I, I didn't look forward to a life of taking cruises and playing shuffleboard, you know, for the rest of my life and, and just got a whiling time away or moving to Florida, that type of thing. I, I'm really very connected to many, many people and even organizations, you know, around the world and really do find that. But I find too, like you said, you find your own voice and you can actually get away from some of the tedium of uh, things that have to be done, some unpleasant things. You can just say, hey, you guys take care of that. I'm not going to be worrying about some of these <laughs> Did, mm-hmm. uh, difficult, perhaps employee impasses, whatever, or, you know, like you mentioned, you know, narcissism or, or other things. I'm going to just, just walk away from it and do other things. And I have found that I could write I could do, do this podcast, you know, and I speak with a very wide group of people uh, on this podcast, and I just really love it. I really love uh, being able to communicate in this way and even trying to find ways to develop it further as a means of communicating either your individual message or a uh, organization's message through this medium. I've been studying podcasts on, online. Also, I've been writing some memoirs. And I have to realize, too, that I'm no, no longer, you know, 35 years old. I'm older, but I do feel very, very active. But what kind of advice would you give people as they come to a very, very realistic point in their career where it's going to come to an end? We had discussed something dealing with emotional health, but uh, give us some insight, Andy. Well, the first thing that I would think is that if you know retirement's coming up, prepare yourself for it start looking at the pros and the cons and look at yourself. Who are you? Who do you want to be? Because retirement actually gives you that opportunity to become who you think you want to be. For example, I'm a naturopath and I'm still getting my feet wet in that, but because of the naturopath and now food is nutrition professional and that kind of thing. Um, I've been dabbling with making tinctures. So those are the kinds of things you can expand on your real actual interests. And again, you'll find out if this isn't something that really is appropriate for you, you can move on to something else. Mm -hmm. But look at those pros and cons. Look at Uh, and I hate to say this, but look at getting all of your stuff in order because if you're at the age of retirement, you're probably at the age where we need to start thinking about what's going to happen in our supposed golden years Mm -hmm. and be ready for that. Also, you have to 
you have to prepare for that togetherness. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but in our situation, my husband was retired. I was working all the time. And sometimes I'd be gone for a week at a time doing presentations all over the place. And we'd catch up by phone at the end of the day. Well, now we're together all the time. Uh, <laughs> so are we. <laughs> I used to say I married you for better, for worse, but not for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> we, we found the same thing, too, is is that we're, we're together all the time, and I become James, I my wife's chauffeur, where she likes to go shopping. I like to go shopping with her, too. Not to every place. Some places I just won't go to. I can't. I can't. That's asking too much of me. But I like going to Costco. I like going to certain things. And even simple things like going to the post office, we walk into it together. For some, There's no reason I need to have her with me or she has to have me with her. But we enjoy it. We enjoy sitting in the evenings. And we, we have moved closer to our grandchildren. In fact, less than a 10-minute walk away. And they're over all the time. And we love it. We, we, we love them coming and uh, the grandsons coming in, opening drawers and picking out certain things that they like to eat and everything is just, uh, to me, a great joy. It's that it truly has given us more opportunity to be with our children as well. Although I'm still with my company, I'm still doing conferences and still doing presentations. And so it does limit my opportunity to be with them as much as I would like, but I can still do it. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that a lot. Um, in fact, our son takes our grandchildren when they reach a certain age. He will take one of those grandkids and go somewhere in the world. So they've been to Egypt and Africa and India and all over the place. And in May, he is taking me to Ireland. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah, so- I'm excited about that. And that's something that I couldn't do if I were working all the time. So there are really huge blessings about not being required to get up and go do things all the time. Well, with our, with, with my granddaughter, she wants to do public service things. And uh, she brought this and that suggestion up. And of course, as you know, I've had life nets for the last 25 years. And it's had its best uh, year ever, especially since we're working on projects that have been legacy projects and, of course, the Ukraine war. But she would like to do certain things, and we've had time to talk through what she might do. Uh, My son handles our wheelchair program for for LifeNets. It's an ingenious uh, matching service, which was started as an Eagle Scout project 25 years ago and now has been something that we've been written about in USA Today and Real Simple Magazine, but it's a unique way in which we match wheelchairs. And I've gotten her involved in this. And I probably wouldn't have been if I was so busy doing other things to take the time to sit down and discuss some of the details of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I fully understand that because the new things that have opened up is like the international speaking, conference speaking and that kind of thing. So what was meant to shut me up is actually giving me a louder voice. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing, too, is that if you have a record of uh, service, is that um, at first it was the change was very, very abrupt, and I found myself not on mailing lists. In fact, I was off the, would you believe, I was off the ministerial mailing list for almost eight months. <laughs> didn't really, oh, wow. really, really, really realize I was getting just normal memos that ministers were getting. 
until it was realized that, oh, we made a mistake. You know, I was just taken off there. Uh, my wife somehow happened to catch a memo from somebody else <laughs> about something going on and said, well, you certainly heard about this or need to respond to this. I said, no, I don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, things got quiet for a while, and then I was kind of just wondering, you know, you kind of go through the feelings that you had. It's mm -hmm. uh, no secret that a person has feelings. They don't just kind of sit there like a potato. I don't know, potatoes may have feelings too, but anyway. Yeah. I, I, well, I, they I, have eyes. They have <laughs> eyes. But, but anyway, I was, I, I was, um, but then all of a sudden here, uh, I've been asked to um, help out with uh, a festival site, festival coordinator in, in, a, in a very interesting area internationally. And then uh, also for Pentecost, I was invited to uh, five churches gathering together out on the East Coast. And all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of lifted my spirits. And I have people calling me a lot, too, asking for advice and asking for this and that. And, of course, with LifeNets, uh, I do all the communications. I do all the newsletters, the letters, the communications, and, and that kind of thing. So I find myself becoming very, very satisfied with what I'm doing and satisfied not because I'm doing it, but because there are outcomes. There are outcomes in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And so we're working with that and also sharing it with our grandkids. And my wife and I work very closely in that. We're a real duo in that she does the business part of it and I do the hard stuff. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, we, you and I, I think are not too different than probably a billions of other people. You know, we're kind of selfish by nature. And we do things that really, while we're doing it for other people, it has to feel good too. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that that's the beautiful part about service is that everybody wins. Mm -hmm. You get to help them. It helps you feel better about yourself. And some of that can actually take away from the negative feelings that you might've had about yourself. You know, like, why did this happen to me? I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost a healing effect to help others. I love that part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can say that, look, I have gone through there and I have, uh, I, I have survived it, just like the Apostle Paul. He learned in whatever state he was to be content, and he knew that when he was stoned and when he was imprisoned, there was some purpose to it and something mm -hmm. worked out. And I have had, uh, you know, this major change that I've had in my life. This is about third one uh, of its kind, you know, where uh, the church has gone through various crises in the past and you find yourself out on a limb, not knowing what's going to happen the next month or the next week or so. But then as you look back and some of the most painful things that turned out for to be a blessing, I could never have started LifeNets, never could have started LifeNets, which I think that God mm -hmm. has knew that I would, you know, kind of open the doors for it. Uh, if I was just employed fully and, 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 and required to do things at a lower level of, let's say, excitement with being able to start an organization like this in a very small way, and even opportunities came my way to serve, whether it was refugees or whether it was education, those are the two big things at the very beginning, or disabled children. And I had just juicy opportunities to really succeed at that. And that led from one thing to another and has led 
to it becoming what it is, and I'm just very thankful. But I couldn't have really come to that unless I had some of the hard knocks. Exactly. You know, I have always said when I was younger that if I could, I would travel with the international doctors, go to areas where there's a crisis and try to help people through it. Um, I have that opportunity, although I would only do it locally at this point in time because, you know, I'm trying to take care of my husband and I still have kids and uh, not at home, but I still have family that I need to tend to as well. And they kind of need me still. Mm -hmm. But there's so many, so many wonderful things that we can do now that we couldn't do before when we were working. So it's a blessing. It really, truly is a blessing. I would like to see, particularly women, um, you know, 55% of the people that are retirees are actually women at this point in time. And the role has changed for women over the years. And we have so many, in fact, I had a lady call me that she wants to do a series on how women are handling the changes in the workforce. You know, let's face it, COVID did a lot to change that. Mm -hmm. And how are they coping with it? How are they handling it? So you think about, again, you have to look at yourself and look at your family and the pros and the cons and all of this. But it's been hard for women, particularly, because their roles had changed so drastically. They were in the workforce, they were earning money, and now what are they? A lot of women feel useless mm -hmm. in retirement. I would say, Andy, that feeling useless is probably one of the most horrible feelings of all because you want to feel useful, especially if you care about people. You want to feel like what you have to offer has value and not mm -hmm. that uh, you are a commodity. Okay, just uh, move on, go curl up and die. And and you you do have value. Well, one thing that you did bring out, what we talked about was... Um, developing emotional health and maybe we can't get into this as fully as we want to and i'm trying to bait you for another podcast <laughs> <laughs> but one thing you did talk about about was uh, emotional health even as far as work is concerned and as far as career is concerned can you comment on that um yeah i think you know just off the cuff here emotional health to me is being happy in your place being able to get up in the morning and say, okay, these are my goals for and filling out those goals. It is realizing that you aren't going to be able to control every situation, but you can control certain things. And one of the big things that we need to learn to control is our emotions. We can easily go off the track and go down where, you know, things are getting darker and darker and darker. It's a choice to stay on that track. And this is where your emotional health is going to save you or sink you. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to start looking beyond yourself and seeing what really matters in around you, how you can make an impact. Believe it or not, one of the goofiest things that helped me was uh, I love to bake. And, you know, I know that the world is getting goofy, the world is getting crazy. But one of the things that I thought was, you know, I don't want all of these preservatives in our foods. And so I 
taught myself how to buy grain, grind the grain and make my own bread. And that was one of those things that now when I go into the kitchen and I make that loaf of bread, it really made me feel good. You get those emotional highs and that's part of emotional health. Helping others, stepping outside is another part of emotional health. But you can't help heal anybody else until you take care of the own things that are going on in your own head. Well, one word that you used was emotional intelligence. I I thought that was very interesting in in discussing just how we deal with this emotional intelligence along with emotional health. Well, again, is one of those things. You have to know who you are. Mm -hmm. Okay. You have to know how to apply it. And, you know, and you have to accept, too, that not everybody is going to be accepting of your help. From those people, all you can do is just turn around and say, you know, I love you, but I'm going to love you from a distance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so separate yourself from the negativity as much as you can. And it's very difficult, especially if you're living in a negative situation. But it, that is a very important part of emotional intelligence. You have to know who you are, mm-hmm. what pushes your buttons and how to deal with those that are doing so. And accepting your, your feelings. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and like you said, processing and managing things. There are some people that take things very much to heart and they, they even hate the way they feel. Uh, honestly, Andy, I'll admit this. There are certain things that, uh, like the Apostle Paul says, there are things that I do that I hate. <laughs> you know, I can yeah. say there are things that I think that I hate. I don't want to think that way. But that's me. You know, I'm stuck with that. While somebody else may seem like they can blow things off very easily, so uh, those are aspects. In in my personal prayer is that I ask God to please give me special protection and special shield. You know, when it comes to those types of situation, because in in the workforce, as you mentioned, there's a lot of feelings that go back and forth. When you no, know, you talked about your your superior, there's a lot of feelings of jealousy there's a lot of feelings like you said narcissism a lot of feeling of just being very very inconsiderate that that you have to kind of walk around and i have to ask myself my own feelings you know where where, where can mm-hmm. i do better as far as relating to people and how can i make things right yeah if you can manage your own emotions and recognize the emotions of the people around you in your personal and professional relationships and your decision-making processes, everything is going to be impacted by that, but you have to know yourself first. Mm -hmm. And that sounds very, very egotistical to think of yourself first, Mm -hmm. but you almost have to in order to develop that empathetic responses to people, to be self-aware when you're having stress and when to back away from things. And then you're also going to find out what motivates you. Mm-hmm. So negatives always lead positives, but you got to look for the positives because the negatives are so easy to find. Well, some one thing. Speaking of negatives, you know, you had a very interesting comment that you made in in, in your notes, is that as uh, what we really need to be taught about life. Now we're taught to be successful. We're taught to be, you know, crusading. We're taught to lead, and you know, all, all this type of thing. You know, charging on bold, bold. We need bold leadership. All I've heard that expression. But what about learning how to cope with difficulty? 
like you said, we have not been taught how to be hungry or how to be poor. Or if you're treated unfairly at work, which happens. You know, you're treated unfairly. There's no matter what, what you do and you get gaslighted. You know, <laughs> you know it seems <laughs> like, you know, when you try to explain yourself, you know, uh, gaslighting, which is a, the number one word after COVID. There's always a word of the year that's used a lot. And a couple of years ago, it was gaslighting, where no matter what you say, no matter how you do, you know, you're, you're being manipulated by uh, a, a personality to where you're the bad guy, even though you just asked the question. So I feel like one thing that should be taught in life, even in professional courses, uh, the Covey style, how to deal with disappointment, how to deal with setbacks, how to deal with reversals, and how to push through them. Wouldn't you say that? Well, I, I think that is incredible. And that is a topic that won for a great deal of time. And based on my own experience, I was raised in an abusive home. It was physically and emotionally abusive. Through that, though, I looked around. I could see on the TV set, and I'd say, wait a minute, these people don't live the way I do. I want to live that way. The father's knows best way, <laughs> and my, my home isn't like that. So sometimes you have to be able to look at everything else around you. You're going to pick and choose, and it comes with choice. That's the first thing. Um, but you have to empower, and I think this is where it goes back to parenting, especially where fathers are concerned. I know for so long we have dismissed the role of the father and the importance of a father in a family. I had four dads. That was thrilling but <laughs> none of them were very helpful. <laughs> but, wow. um, it, it, but, you know, you look at the father's role and the importance. I look in our family, uh, my children. If anything happened to my husband, our kids would be devastated. But the things that he taught them growing up, and this is where I go back into parenting and how important it is, we have to teach our children how to deal with negativity, the bullies of the world, that the world isn't fair and not everybody's gonna get a trophy. But our children are so fragile emotionally now mm -hmm. that we're seeing a rise in them of narcissism and you know they're devastated when things just don't work out. The Barbie movie is a great example. The girl who played the part of Barbie was not nominated for an award, and she pitched a fit. She was not willing to accept the fact that, okay, other people did better than I. But this is where we need to help our children learn that mm -hmm. life is not fair, but life is fair. Mm -hmm. It's what you put into it. We have to teach them. We have to hold their hands and help them through that. I feel that's so, so important, even even our kids, you know, who may lose a job or whatever. It's it's a fine line of not just totally sympathizing and saying, "Oh, you poor thing," which which of course is important to say, but perhaps oh, indeed. what 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 can we learn from this? How do we go to round two? Uh, what what factors could have been changed? What should you have said or not said? Andy, as we kind of wind down, we, we have appreciated. Knowing you, a group of us, you know, that have worked with you for the last 10 years and other people who have worked longer. And we always uh, knew your trademark when you gave your presentations. You took your shoes off. 
<laughs> hey, they're off now. <laughs> okay. Whenever she does presentations, she has her shoes off because she said that she thinks better. So anyway, actually, I'm in my <laughs> socks too here. So anyway, this has just been uh, wonderful uh, talking to you. Any any last words that you can kind of cover here right now? Well, ask yourself, do you want to survive or do you want to thrive? Because if you want to thrive, it goes back to looking at yourself. You have to accept your feelings, process and manage those feelings, realize that they're unique to you. And don't judge everybody by what you feel or how you think. You have to know what you think and how you feel, but you also have to manage those things as well. And it isn't just possible, it's preferable to do that in life. You're gonna be much happier even if people walk away from you, do the right thing because you'll be happier. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very, very, very wonderful words to end this on. In our work in the ministry, you know, and I have been in the ministry for 53 years, and I've seen just You're my... not even that old. <laughs> I, I, I really don't feel that old. I started in 1969. It was a few years before I was ordained, but I started as a ministerial trainee, and honestly, I think I've seen just about everything, and I've held pretty much every big office in the church. I've been operation manager, I've been festival coordinator, I've been, uh, you, you name it, president, uh, and all. And, you know, I have seen all kinds of behavior that I have liked and not liked. I've seen myself of things I have liked and not liked. And I certainly hope in the whole scope of things that lessons are learned, and even lessons are learned corporately in our church that we can say this type of behavior is unacceptable or this type of behavior needs to, to be changed. So it's good to be able to have these types of talks where we discuss possibilities and also leave room open, leave the door open for forgiveness, for change, for people coming around and hope that you know people around us learn the bullies and that type of thing and not that we want to get back at them or to retaliate, but hopefully that they can learn in the whole process and become whole themselves. Yes, and I think you just hit on uh, the key word throughout this important presentation, I believe, and that is forgiveness. Because if you're going to hold that grudge, hold on to that, you're not forgiving them, it's going to be that seed of darkness within you. So you can forgive others and move on and you'll be so much better off and I think that we we need lessons in that, unfortunately. Absolutely, I think we, sh we, we, we do. I mean, I have been in parts of groups and committees that have tried to work with different parts of the world that had less than satisfactory experiences working with management. And some of the things that even when the United Church of God started, there were grudges that went back decades, decades, were lack of trust and, and, and people acted reactionary that we don't want you we don't want the u.s to tell us what to do we don't want this you know and in some ways mm -hmm. uh it was something that happened from the u.s but in another way things have changed and people learn to trust one another but that's another subject altogether and, and i hope that we can you know cover that so andy it's just been absolutely great being able to talk to you it's just been wonderful well i appreciate it so much and thank you i i'm so glad that you reached out
<laughs> well, I was afraid to even reach out because I know that you have all these letters after your name, and I just didn't know if you had time for VK. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, back before it was fashionable, I used to laugh and <laughs> but it really is. I think it's part of my identity. I found my identity, and mm. that is just helping others if I can. So it's been a blessing. And, and I thank you for doing your podcast because, you know, for all the work you're doing with Life Nuts and the podcasts and the uplifting things that people can get from that, thank you. Okay, well, I appreciate that very much. So may God be with you in your journey, and we hope to talk to you again, not to distant future. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to us today on The Cubic Report. We welcome you to share this podcast and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, and many other platforms. You can easily find us at any browser address box by typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. Remember, Cubic is spelled K-U-B-I-K. So we'd love to hear from you. Write to us at vcubic at gmail.com. That's V-K-U-B-I-K at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.